The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. If you're not there already, John 15, we are out of verses 1 through 11, making forward progress. So, the first novel that I ever read was Frank Peretti's The Oath. Don't judge me. All right? I was not a reader as a kid at all. And in seventh grade, a friend of mine handed me this 550-page novel and said, Jonathan, read it. You'll like it. And I laughed at him. And he was like, no, seriously, just give it like 30 pages. And I'm like, 30 pages is more than I ever read in a single sitting. But I did. And I was captivated. Because in, in reading Peretti's novel, it was the first time I had seen an author lay out multiple storylines. It was as if I was reading multiple books at once. It's like chapter one is about this storyline over here, and then chapter two is about this, chapter three is about that, and then chapter four picks back up over here, and then it picks and starts weaving and all this kind of stuff. I'd never seen anything like it before. And all of these seemingly disconnected stories, I began to see that the deeper I got into the book, the more these various threads came together. And within the last 40 pages, my mind, my 7th grade, 13-year-old mind was blown as he managed somehow to make all the final connections fall into place and all the threads were tied up finally together. And I found that my heart was tied up with them because that is the moment that I fell in love with books. That is the moment that I became a reader. We have been journeying through Jesus' final evening with his disciples before his crucifixion. And we've explored already a lot of what Jesus has had to say. And perhaps it has felt thus far like disconnected threads. Like Jesus is saying, okay, for a moment I'm going to talk to you about fruit bearing. Okay, now over here for a moment I'm going to talk to you about how I reveal the Father. Okay, now for a moment let me talk to you about the evidence that you're truly a follower of me. And, and perhaps it's felt like Jesus was jumping from topic to topic. But he is more masterful with his words than Frank Peretti or any other writer or speaker for that matter. And just like a novel draws seemingly disconnected threads together at the end, here at Jesus' end, in his hour, he begins tying together all the threads of theology he has talked about, and he ties our hearts up with them. This is the moment, this is the hour when we learn what it looks like to live as his disciples. It's the second Sunday of Lent, and this is what our Lenten series is all about. How do we live as Jesus' disciples in this hour? After his death, resurrection, and ascension, when he is no longer physically present with us, how are we to be his people in this hour? And, And we've already seen much of his answer in John chapter 15, as he told us that in this hour we're to live abiding in him, depending upon him like a branch depends upon a vine. And he's not going to let go of that thread. You're going to see him. He's going to pull it over into what we're doing today, into John 15, verses 12 through 17, and he's going to combine it with many others. 
In just these few short verses, he's going to pick up the thread of the new commandment from chapter 13, the thread of how he reveals the Father from chapter 14, the thread of fruit bearing from chapter 15, the thread of praying in accordance with God's will, and many, many others. He's going to pick them all up and tie them together by tying them to our daily lives and showing us more and more how we live dependent upon him in this hour. And today, in our text today, the knot that he's tying, the central point that he's making is so clear, so clear. He says it in verse 12. See it with me, John 15 and verse 12. This is my commandment, that you, his disciples, us, followers of him, that you love one another. We're going to talk about how this affects our love for the world outside of the church. We're going to get there especially next week. But right now he's focused inward. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So, Shades Valley Community Church, in 2018, amidst our current cultural climate, like when you look at the state of the world, all the good that you see is not a doom and gloom series. There's good. God is at work in the midst of the world, redeeming all things. There is much good to be seen. But in the midst of all the good and all the bad, there is much that is broken. Global instability. Nuclear threats multiply via Twitter. What kind of a world is that? In, in, in the midst of the current cultural climate in this hour, How are you to live? Love one another as Christ has loved you. I don't think that's the answer we're looking for. That sounds so small. In view of all that's going on, how do I live in this moment? Love one another as I have loved you. It sounds so small. Sounds so simple, but the small and the simple is precisely what our God uses to shake and shape the world. His kingdom's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. He uses things like shepherds and carpenters and fishing boats and mangers and crosses. He takes the foolish things of the world and uses them to to shame the wise. The small and the simple to shake and shape the world. I want to know what this looks like. I want to know how we are to love one another in this hour. Everything that Jesus has to say in verses 12 to 17 point towards that. It's to explain how we are to love each other. I mean, just look down at verse 17. When we get to the end of this short passage, he says this, these things I have commanded you, verses 12 to 17, right in here, these things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. That's my aim. That's how you're to live in this hour, love one another. Okay, how? How are we to do it? That's our question, and I think Jesus gives us at least three answers. We're going to take them one at a time. So, number one, first, in this hour, we are to love one another sacrificially. We're going to expand these, unpack them. We're to love one another sacrificially. We're not even going to get to unpack these as much as I would like. 
I found myself, if y'all remember our Lenten series from last year, it was called Cruciform Community. And I found myself wanting to say everything we talked about in those six weeks all today. Yeah, not going to happen. So if you need expansion on what we're talking about, listen to last year's Lenten series. But first, in this hour, we're to love one another sacrificially. Look at verses 12, verse 12 again, and we'll keep going through verse 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you back up just a bit, you look back up to verse 10, Jesus has just said these words, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And now, in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. If you keep my commandments, you're going to abide in my love. What command? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He's picking up the thread of the new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. He gave us that back in John 13, 35. He's picking up that thread, and he's tying it to abiding. If you keep my commandments, so let's go on and let's mesh these things. Let's tie them together just like he is. If you keep my commandments, in other words, if you love one another with my love, Love one another as I have loved you, right? If you love one another with my love, you will abide in my love. Do you see that? Love one another with my love, you will abide in my love. In other words, you're connected to me like a branch to a vine. And one of the things I as the vine am feeding into you, pouring into you, is my love. Pouring my love into you. Once it comes in, let it pour out as the fruit of love in your life. Let it come out as you loving each other with my love. I give my love to you, and you give it to one another. When you do that, you abide in my love, live in my love. Do you see how that works? We talk about being in love with somebody, right? I'm in love with Holly. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that, that there's love for Holly in me, and it shapes everything. Shapes the decisions I make. Shapes what I do, what I don't do. Shapes the types of gifts I buy. Shapes the type of advice I listen to. There's love for Holly in me that shapes everything. So I live in love, in this sphere of love with Holly. When Christ pours out his love in you, it shapes everything, including how you love other people. You abide in his love love. Do you see how that, how that works? Abide in my love by it flowing into you, the vine into the branch, and through you to one another. How? Like you all know me well enough to know by now, like I keep pressing questions down until we find the bottom. I want to know the answer. How, how does Christ's love flow into, great, yeah, like a vine feeds into a branch. It sounds very mystical. How does that work? How, how, how does it flow through me to others? I think Jesus' answer to both of those questions can be summed up in one word. We've already said it. Sacrificially. Sacrificially. How does Christ's love flow into us from the vine into the branches? Through his sacrifice. I'll show you what I mean. Look at verse 12 again. 
He commands us, Jesus commands us, to love one another as I have loved you. In other words, to love one another rightly, like he's commanding us to, we must first contemplate how we have been loved by Christ. Do, do, do we not? Love one another as I have. Okay, I gotta know how he's loved me. I gotta see that. I gotta receive that. I gotta take that in. It's gotta fill me up so that it shapes me every day. Is there a way that you are seeing and receiving Christ's love for you? In your life, in what you do every single day. That's the only way this is going to shape you. Is there a way that you are seeing and receiving Christ's love for you? Is there a way you're seeing anew the cross of Christ in his sacrificial love so that it shapes the way that you love? So currently in my life, whenever I call my parents, and I do call my parents, college students, call your parents. As my kids get older, this becomes more important to me. Currently in my life, when I call my parents, all of my phone calls begin with them the same way. I'm sorry, and thank you. Like, it doesn't, that's just how I start. And if you're a parent, you know why my conversations begin that way. It is because I have four living examples in front of me, soon to be five in July. I got four living examples in front of me, my kids, that reveal to me the sacrificial love my parents had for me. Like, like through my own children, I'm able to see what I couldn't see as a kid. I'm, I'm able to see the sacrifices that my parents made to love me beyond what I deserved. I, and so I call them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every time you slaved away cooking a meal and I refused to eat it. And thank you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that y'all basically bought four used cars in putting and straightening the teeth of your four children. And thank you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything I ever did that caused you hurt and pain and that kept you on your face pleading with Christ that I would cling to him throughout my life. I see their sacrificial love. And in seeing their sacrifice, for me, it stirs up sacrificial love within myself. It calls me to sacrifice for my children in a much greater way, in an infinitely greater way. When we look at the sacrificial love of God through Christ, when we sit before the cross, we're not just inspired by his love like I am by my parents. We're not just inspired by his love. No, we actually receive it. He pours it into us. Romans 5.5 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's God's love for you. It's been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He pours his love into us, transforming us, empowering us to love with his love. 
How does the love of Christ flow into us? Through His sacrifice, by daily setting the gospel before us. Do you set the gospel before you daily so that you see His sacrifice and receive His love? It's poured into you daily and transforms you and shapes you. You set the gospel before you in this word daily. Seeing the love of God through Christ here. Do you you set it before you in song daily? Singing of the love of God through Christ that He has displayed for you. Do you. Do you set the cross before you in prayer? Knowing that I come to God, I can come to God boldly because of the crucified and resurrected Christ and seeing His love and receiving His love as He pours it out to you. My, my favorite way, personally, to set the gospel before myself daily is through Scripture memorization. Because it is there all the time, messing with my mind, hopefully shaping it. If, every single morning when I wake up, and I look in the mirror for the first time, I quote scripture because I need the promise of the resurrection that the decaying body that I'm looking at is going to be repaired and restored one day. But I hear that that gets truer with age too. But every morning I look in the mirror and the first thing I do is I quote 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Christ, see it's the gospel, Christ sacrificed himself so that I get God. His his sacrificial love towards us. This is how, this is how the love of Christ flows into us by setting the gospel before us daily. But that's not all. The love of Christ flows into us, but then it's supposed to flow through us to others. That's why after I get done with 1 Peter 3.18, then shortly on its heels, I quote to myself Philippians 1, verses 20 to 26. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to remain in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I quote that to myself, realizing that the sacrifice of Christ so that I get God doesn't stop there. That love flows into me and through me to others. That's what Philippians 1, 20 to 26 is all about. For me to live, if I get time in this flesh, that's supposed to mean fruitful, fruitful labor. What is that fruitful labor? Your progress and joy in the faith. I live my life for Christ, so that my kids have progress and joy in the faith, so that my wife has progress and joy in the faith, so that you, Shades Valley, have progress and joy in the faith. And I live my life with such a faith in Christ that even if I die, it increases your progress and joy because you know that death is not a loss for me, it is gain. Because Christ has defeated that too. 
Christ's love doesn't just flow into us. It's supposed to flow through us. How? Sacrificially. Sacrificially. Love one another. Look at it again. Love one another as I have loved you. And just in case we don't know exactly what he means, he clarifies in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You you got nothing else to give. You give your life, that's it. Greater love is no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying, this is how I love you. This is how I'm about to love you. I'm laying down my life for you. This is the love I'm pouring into you. So this is the love that should pour out of you. Sacrificial love pours in, so sacrificial love pours out. Jesus says you should lovingly sacrifice yourselves for each other. If there is any doubt that that is what he means, John, our author, clarifies it for us in his first epistle. 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. John says, this is the result. The result of receiving Christ's sacrificial love is that you pour out sacrificial love. What's poured in, pours out. In other words, take a self-examination. If you're not pouring out sacrificial love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, that could be an indicator you have not received Christ's sacrificial love in the first place. What pours in, pours out. Not asking if you perfectly love everyone sacrificially. I do not perfectly love everyone sacrificially. Ask my wife, she's happy to testify. But this is our heartbeat. This is our aim. I, I emphasize this because I meet people all the time who make claims like this. They claim to love Christ, but not the church. And I'm like, according to Jesus, that's not possible. Because if sacrificial love pours in, sacrificial love pours out, specifically sacrificial love for your brothers and sisters. Like saying, I love Christ, but not the church. That would be like you saying to me, Jonathan, I like you and I want to be your friend, but I don't care for Holly. Like that's not going to fly. Holly's my wife, if anybody doesn't know. That's not going to fly. That doesn't work for me. She's my bride. If you got an issue with her, you got an issue with me. The church is the bride of Christ. You don't get him without her. And people will say to me, they'll say, but Jonathan, I get what you're saying, but the church is full of hypocrites and it's full of disagreements and politics and petty arguments and gossiping and backbiting. And to that I say, thank God, because it means there's room for someone as broken as me. The day the church is not full of people who have to fight sin daily is the day I have to quit. The fact that the church is full of broken people who, yes, hurt one another, we do. But the fact that the church is full of broken people who hurt one another is not a reason to leave. It is a reality that gives us opportunity to love. 
it's, it gives us an opportunity to practice Jesus' command. What's the command? Love each other as I have loved you. He loved us even when we sinned, even when we wronged him, even when we didn't deserve it. That's how we're to love one another. The fact that we're a broken people who hurt one another give you the chance to do that. Give you the chance to forgive. Give you the chance to seek forgiveness. Give you the chance to show grace and have grace shown to you. It gives us the opportunity to demonstrate the sacrificial love of Christ. We lay down our lives for one another as Christ did for us. Sacrificial love pours in through him, so sacrificial love pours out. This is exactly what Jesus says in the next verse of John 15. Look at verse 13 again, but let's keep going through verse 14. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. If you love one another as I have loved you, Jesus is not saying this is the way you get to earn the right to be my friend. All right, you can be my friend if you love one another like I love you. Go do that for a little bit, and we'll talk about this friendship thing. This is not about earning. He's talking about evidence. You're my friend. We have a real relationship, a real connection. You're a branch connected to the vine. If this evidence shows up in your life, You love like I love. That can only happen if we're really friends, really connected. If my love's being poured into you so that it can be poured out. In other words, another way to say you are my friends if you do what I command would, would be this. The evidence that you have received my love is that you give my love. Jesus is is picking up and tying in another thread. He's talked to us all throughout the past couple of chapters about true evidence that we're a disciple. He picks that up. Here's true evidence that you belong to me. You love with my love. And he, he picks up that thread and he knots it into our daily life of loving one another sacrificially. Is this evidence present in you, in in me, not perfectly, but truly. Does the love of Christ flow into us through the gospel and through us to one another? Is there evidence that we have been transformed to love like Christ? That takes us straight into Jesus' second answer to our main question. How are we to love one another in this hour? Yes, sacrificially, but secondly, in this hour, we are to love one another transformatively. I know I'm making up adverbial forms of words. Sorry. In this hour, we are to love one another transformatively. We've already begun to see this truth play out in verse 14. You're my friends. If this transformative evidence shows up in you, We've already seen it begin to play out there, but it becomes even clearer in verse 15. Jesus says this, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus says there's there's been a transformation in his relationship with his disciples, from servants 
to friends. No longer do I call you servants. Now, interestingly, if you read through the Gospel of John, you look back through it, you cannot really find anywhere where Jesus has previously called his disciples servants. Maybe if you stretch things a little bit in John chapter 13. But he didn't really call them servants before this. And if you read the rest of the Bible, in the future, many of them will continue to refer to themselves as servants of Jesus, including us. We talk about being servants of Christ. There are some of you in here this is for real, who have the Greek word for servant tattooed on your ankle. Is that wrong? No. You get all the way to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4, I think it is, and we're still being called servants of God. The point that Jesus is making here is not a technical switch in titles, but a transformation in relationship. In other words, There is something true about the typical servant-master relationship that has been true between Jesus and his disciples. But that is transforming into what is true among friends. What, What is that thing? What's transforming? Look at it again. The servant does not know what his master is doing. That's what's true between servant and master. Servant doesn't know the master's plan, the master's purpose, his overarching, what he's after, what he's going for. Servant doesn't know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends for because all that I've heard from the Father I have made known to you. Jesus grabs on to another thread back from chapter 14, how he reveals the Father to us, really all the way back from chapter 1. He's been talking to us about this throughout the entire gospel, that he is the one who reveals God the Father to us. And he takes that thread and he ties it to our lives in a new way. All along, Jesus has been at work revealing the Father to these disciples. And yet, something is happening in this hour. Now that the hour has arrived, something's happening in this hour that will cause a transformation in our knowing God the Father. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. And these disciples have been very confused throughout the gospel. But after the cross, there will be clarity concerning what Jesus has been doing in this hour. Through the cross of Christ and his resurrection, the gospel plan will be made plain. And through the cross, these disciples will be united to Christ like never before, transformed from servants who didn't have a clue what was going on to friends who know the purposes of their Savior and their Father. Because they're not just transformed from servants to friends, they're going to be transformed from slaves to sons. Through the crucified and resurrected Christ, they will come to know the Father as Father. I think that's what Jesus is pointing at when he says, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I'm about to bring you into everything. You're going to get the gospel and you're going to get God, my Father, as your Father. Christ has loved them transformatively. I think this is why he calls this the greatest love possible in verse 13. Did you catch that? Greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I read a bunch of scholars who love to argue about that verse this week. Because they're like, I I mean, isn't it greater love if somebody dies for their enemies? 
than their friends? I think Jesus calls this the greatest love because in context, as he goes on to explain, he isn't just laying down his life for his friends. He's laying down his life to transform his enemies into friends. That's greater than even just laying down your life for your enemies. He's transforming them, bringing them in, extending grace to them, giving them everything that they did not deserve. Every single one of us was born as an enemy of God, all these disciples included. Romans 5 and verse 6 says that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us while we were still in God, God shows his love for us in this, that he comes for us while we are still sinful, while we are enemies of God, and he transforms us into his friends, into sons and daughters by his sacrificial love. No longer servants, but friends. No longer slaves, but sons and daughters. Which also means that we are now brothers and sisters. When Christ's love transforms our relationship with the Father, it simultaneously transforms our relationships with one another. If if we all have God as Father through Christ, then we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ, and we're to love each other as he has loved us, transformatively. What I mean by that, in other words, we're to love each other in this transformed way. As brothers and sisters, we're to love each other as what we are. Not as what we would like one another to be. We're to love each other in a transformed way, as brothers and sisters. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. They may not be the kind of people you would normally like to be around or hang out with. All the people in this room probably aren't the normal kind of people you'd like to hang out with. I was reminded of this this morning when Mike Grant walked in. I love you, Mike. There are people that probably get on your nerves, but you love them because... You're in your family, with your flesh, brothers and sisters. You, you love them because you're bound together by blood, and we are bound together by the blood of Christ. So we love one another, even when we get on each other's nerves, even when we hurt each other, even when we are a hodgepodge of people who wouldn't normally hang out together. We are bound together by the blood of Jesus. Real practical example of this for you here at Shades Valley. Community groups. All right, you can call them small groups or whatever, but... We call them community groups. They're a great example of this. I'm not sure what you think the purpose of community groups is, but it's not to help you find your new best friends. People you just love hanging out with. The purpose of community groups at Shades Valley is to reflect the community of the kingdom to be a people connected by Christ, and we sacrificially love each other because we're family in Him. I'll often hear somebody say uh, something like this, like, I was visiting a community group, but I just couldn't connect with the people in it. So I want you to imagine my four-year-old Talitha coming to me and saying, 
you know, Papa, I've been hanging out with this family for a little while. I'm just having a hard time connecting with Karis and Levi. Thinking we can just exchange them. Like, I'm sorry, but say to her, that's your family. Shades, we're a community in the same way. We are not a community in the way that social clubs are a community. This thing called the church, it's not about our social life. It's about living as a new society. A society of the kingdom of God that puts His transformative love on display where we love those around us even when it's not natural for us to love. I, I, I want to challenge every person in here to be a part of a community group in a way that makes you practice transformational, sacrificial love. Be, be a part of this community in a way that makes you depend upon the love of Christ being poured into you and, and through you. That's something different in this world. In in this hour, sacrificial, transformational love, it may seem small and simple, but it will shake and reshape the world. And this is the final thing that I want us to see in Jesus' third answer to our key question. In this hour, how are we to love one another? Sacrificially, transformationally, and thirdly, missionally. Another made-up adverb. Sorry about that. In this hour, we're to love each other one another missionally. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus picks up the threads of fruit bearing and praying in accordance with the will of God and he ties them to our daily lives through loving each other missionally says that he chose us, saved us by his grace for this purpose, that we go and bear fruit. Throughout John 15, Jesus has talked to us, we've seen him talk to us again and again about this bearing of fruit. He's the vine, we're the branches, he pours his life into us so that we as the branches bear fruit. He pours his peace into us, like he said in chapter 14, so that we bear the fruit of peace. He pours his joy into us, like he says in verse 11, so that we bear the fruit of joy. And like we've been talking about all morning this morning, he pours into us his love so that we bear the fruit of love. The fruit that we bear throughout John 15 is the fruit of a transformed life. It's the fruit of a life conformed to Christ, a life that reflects Christ. And while I think that fruit-bearing right here in verse 16 that we just read, while I think that fruit-bearing here includes that meaning, I think that it particularly emphasizes bearing the fruit of missional love. I think that because Jesus adds the word, go. I chose you to go and bear Go. Show the world this love that I have for you. Show the world this love as you love one another. Love one another in a way that shows the world my sacrificial love, 
my transformational love, let it shake and shape the world. I think we're on track here because Jesus pretty much said the same thing back in John 13 when he first introduced the new commandment to us. John 13, 34, new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People will know that you belong to me because you love each other like I love. You sacrifice for each other. You've been transformed into a new society, a kingdom community, where your wants, your desires, and your needs are not number one. You pour yourself out for each other. Loving each other like this is meant to be missional. We don't keep it to ourselves. We, we bring others into it. We go and we, and we share it and we watch it bear more fruit. We watch others come, come into it in this hour, Shades, in 2018, in this hour, the world needs to see the love of Christ in the way we love each other. They need to see the love of Christ in the way that we love each other. They need to see a different society, a different kingdom. Not that we have it perfect, we cannot yet. They can see a society that loves each other even when we are not perfect. We forgive each other, extend grace to one another, reflect the love of Christ for one another to the world. And no, obviously we cannot do this on our own. We can only do it through God providing every ounce of power that we need. And he's promised to do that. That's, that's the thread Jesus brought back in and tied up at the end of verse 16. As we go and bear fruit, we ask the Father for whatever we need in the name of Jesus, and he gives it. We ask for whatever we need for this fruit-bearing mission, for loving one another as Christ loved us. That hard for you? Are you asking for God to provide the resources that you need to do? Pray and ask for grace so that you might show grace. Pray and ask for empowerment that you might forgive. Pray and ask for empowerment that you might love. Not just one another, but the world. At, at the, there is opportunity to lovingly share the gospel with the lost. And as there's opportunity to lovingly share the gospel with the lost, we pray for boldness. We pray for patience. We pray for love. We pray for empowerment to start conversations that we aren't comfortable starting. And God has promised to provide all that we need to love missionally. So we step out in faith that He will keep His promise. And we willingly sacrifice ourselves so that others might be transformed by the love of Christ. This is how we love our brothers and sisters who aren't yet even our brothers and sisters. This is how we love them, just as Christ loved us. He came for us when we were not yet His to make us His. So we go to them even though they are not yet brothers and sisters, and we pray that we will love them in a way that brings them into this love. We love sacrificially, transformationally, missionally. Christ ties these threads together and knots them around our lives. Is your life tied up in these purposes? Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. 
said all this so your life will be tied up in these purposes. In, in this hour is the purpose of your life tied to the purpose of Christ. Displaying his love by loving one another. You want to know how we survive in this hour? 2018, how our faith thrives in this hour? Through loving one another with the very love of Christ. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today in this hour. Exhort one another. Love one another so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How are we going to make it to the end, firmly holding on to our faith in Christ? Exhort one another every day, in this hour. Sacrifice yourself for one another. Love one another with the love of Christ. That's how we survive and thrive in this hour. You want to know how we shake the world in this hour? through loving one another with the very love of Christ and inviting others into this love. By this, John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Are our lives tied to the purposes of Christ? Shades, let's, let's as a people and as a church, let's not be knotted around ourselves. Let's pray He's promised to give if we pray. Let's pray for Christ to take every thread of our life, everything we do, and tie it all to his love. In this hour, let us love sacrificially, transformationally, and missionally.